You should tell them. We just hit a milestone oh, literally yeah. today. <laughs> literally. Oh, what's the milestone? We just hit 10 million installs. Are you serious? 10 million? Yeah. yeah, today. 10 million installs. Today. Yeah. So we're going to go get lunch after this. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, have so many questions about this. Um, first of all, that's, that's wonderful. And so this is part of a conversation that I just had with Emma and Trey, a wife and husband team who had built an app that is one of their many, many, many different things that they have in their portfolio of income streams in their business. Uh, this app in particular called A Color Story just hit 10 million installs. And as you can tell, I'm a little bit blown away by those numbers. And I do ask a lot of follow-up questions to kind of unpack exactly how that all happened. But that's not where everything started. Everything started with a blog called A Beautiful Mess that Emma and her partner, Elsie, who unfortunately couldn't join us today, had started. And then everything kind of just took off from there. So today we're going to dive into with Trey and Emma the story behind A Beautiful Mess and their several different pieces of their very diverse portfolio for income streams, which include the blog. Uh, and we do def- we definitely spend a lot of time in the beginning talking about talking about the income strategies there, especially with sponsored posts. I actually try to uncover exactly how might you be able to do this as well. So make sure you stick around for that. We also dive into the App Store business books, and they also have a physical product line, an Airbnb sort of business that they have, and they also own a bar together. And we don't even uncover those things today, but as you can tell, they've got a lot going on. We also talk about how to organize those things, how to build a team behind it, and all those great things. So stick around. This is a great one, very inspirational, but also very tactical. So before we get to that, the intro music. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now, so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, his dad jokes are a favorite pastime, Pat Flynn. Now, as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for quite a long time now, and I've had a lot of success with the multiple shows and and episodes and even the courses I've created. Part of my success is due to how particular I've been in the tools that I use. And one of my favorite tools is Buzzsprout. For those of you who are not familiar with Buzzsprout, you need to be because if you have a podcast or you're looking to start one, Buzzsprout is by far the easiest way to start podcasting and they're making it even easier. This is a podcast host and it allows you to get listed on all the top directories, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, et cetera. I use it myself. They've provided advanced stats for us now so that you can track your podcast downloads and understand exactly what things are happening with your show, which is really key, right? Just there's not a lot of data that uh, a lot of tools give us access to and Buzzsprout is some of the best. They'll even help you build a website for your podcast so your audience can easily find you online and listen to all the episodes right from your site too, even if you don't have a website. On the technical side, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Through the host, Buzzsprout, you can automatically optimize your audio through their newest feature, Magic Mastering. So Magic Mastering is like an Instagram filter, but for your audio. And it takes the audio you have and just automatically masters it to match the Apple Podcast authoring best practices. It's totally awesome. Just, I love them because not only is it just a super easy tool to use, but I know the team there. They are the sponsor of this episode. And I wanted to make sure you got to know who they are because they're they're a great tool. And if you're just starting out with Buzzsprout, you can actually get a special deal. Their plans start at $12 a month. Buzzsprout is a wonderful partner of mine and, you know, you can actually get 33% more time on your plan, whichever plan you choose, just through this link alone. And that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. And that's a huge deal, 33% extra time on your plan just by going through that link. You can claim that again by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Check them out, they're awesome. You're listening to session 357 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Pat Flynn. I'm here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. And today we got an amazing husband and wife team, Trey and Emma from A Beautiful Mess, from all the things that we're gonna mention. I mean, there's so many things here that they have going on. And it was really inspirational because they're able to organize it and still have a life outside of all the amazing things that they've built. So we dive into, from the start, how A Beautiful Mess was built. And again, Elsie, who is unable to join us today, unfortunately, uh, it's a tough time to do interviews around the holiday season, but uh, we definitely get into how they built the blog, which then supported all these other business ventures as well. And uh, like I said, they even own a bar and have physical products and other things too. It's just amazing what they've been able to create. So let's just dive right in. And as you can tell, and as you'll be able to hear in the questions, I get very curious about how they all are able to manage this and how everything was built, how they got it successful. And uh, so, you know, I try to I try to be you 
and I try to poke holes to figure out, well, how can we do this too? So let's dive right in. Here's Emma and Trey with all the goods. Here we go. Emma and Trey, welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thank you both for being here today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. So Emma, I want to talk to you, and and obviously we'll talk to both of you, and you know, you ha- there's a third person who wasn't able to join us today because of the holidays, Elsie. Elsie, if you're listening to this, you're awesome. I'm sorry you couldn't be here. Hopefully we could chat in the future. Um, but Emma, tell us a little bit about what a beautifulmess.com is all about, and then we'll kind of dive into the story and kind of see how it all happened. Yes, so my sister and I started a blog um, a little over 11 years ago, so I feel like we really hit blogging in the early stages and in some ways at the right time, although I still think it's a great time to start a blog now. But our site is all about crafts and recipes and home decor, basically all the things that we really enjoy doing in our free time and we're already doing, we were blogging about. And over time, that has become our job and not just the things we do in our free time. (laughs) That's so cool. So you started 11 years ago. How soon after that did it become like your job? Well, at the time, we also owned a vintage store in Springfield, Missouri, where we are from and where I still live. And so we would use our blog as a way to promote the store and our online offerings from our vintage store. And we just found over the course of probably the first two or three years that our content was growing and our our audience was growing. And they were really interested in what we were doing in our story, but they also just wanted to know how to do their own thing and learn how to kind of get the look um, that we were showcasing for themselves, but not necessarily buy our vintage products. Right, right. <laughs> so we sort of transitioned over time and leaned into what was working. And um, so uh, it's, it's hard to answer when it became a full-time thing because in a way we were doing something else in tandem. But probably after the first like three or four years, it became the main thing that we did. Yeah, I feel like it would have been close to like 2012 because that was whenever you decided to invest like more into sponsorships and try to lean a little bit harder into monetizing that blog. And I feel like that was right around 2012. That's also around the time that like you've kind of uh, closed down the store as well. Wasn't it right around there? Yeah, I think so. And our first book was coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So just so everybody's listening, uh, I looked into sort of the portfolio that Emma and Elsie and and Trey have together. And there's a lot of things we're going to get into all of them. You have the blog, a beautiful mess.com. You have, a product line, you have apps and software, you have courses, you also have books, you also have and own a bar, and also do some B&B, like Airbnb type things. Um, just, wow, this is this is crazy. And so I definitely want to unpack how this all happened and how you've been able to add more, how you've been able to organize. Trey, I want to speak to you, going back to those early days, um, what was it like to like take something that was offline and then start to go online? And how were you able to even just technically do that? I know a lot of people want to do that, but they don't even know where to start. Where did you guys start with that? Well, so I guess around the time that I started working with the company, I was working for ad agencies prior to that. And I was looking at the crazy sponsorship dollars that would get thrown around for much smaller um, offerings than a beautiful mess could offer, like smaller reach and all this. And I saw, and then I saw what they were charging and like, and I just kept kind of butting in. I was just like, Hey, you know, you could just, you could do this, you could do that. You could try that. We tried this. And eventually like, do you want to just come work for us? I'm just like, yeah, kind (laughs) of. So they, um, so they brought me on, like I said, that pro- that's why I said the 2012 sticks out because that's around the time they hired me is whenever we, like that was kind of the leap um, because they didn't quite have the money at the time. Like mm-hmm. they didn't know that they could make it the full year to pay my salary, but they're like, well, if this works, if this takes, then everything else works. And so from there, it was just kind of, they saw that sponsorship worked. Um, and so then they invested, they invested more into it, you know, by hiring me. And then that just kind of, or that gave me the opportunity to kind of scale that out and grow it because it was right around the time sponsored content was starting. And so, um, we went from, depending on like direct sold banner ads, we weren't using ad networks or anything like that to almost exclusively, uh, sponsored content and then more dynamic banner ads. So that way that didn't need to be managed. And then we could do sponsored content, which could pay higher and then ultimately grow it and give us more opportunity to invest elsewhere. And Trey, is sponsored content still kind of a big part of the revenue that's being generated in the business? 
Huge. I mean, it's the number one for a beautiful mess. We've incorporated the apps as their own company now, and that's where all of my focus is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but for a beautiful mess, it's the number one revenue stream, yeah. And then finally, can you tell us and kind of educate us on what exactly is a sponsored post and what do those deals look like? So those of us who aren't quite familiar with how that works, we can get yeah, sure. kind of the rundown. Sure. So it's uh, basically we'll whether it's a craft project, whether it's home decor or it's a recipe, I mean, they're already blogging about all these topics now. And so then there are certain products that, um, there are certain products that they use as they're doing it. So, you know, whether it's a certain brand of pasta or whether it's a certain type of, um, or whether it's like a certain type of kitchen tool or something like that, that Mm -hmm. you're using that brand will then pay us to give them a better feature, um, within the post. So, if Emma's doing something like she wants to make pasta, um, KitchenAid could theoretically uh, pay us to uh, to feature KitchenAid a lot more prominently, give them some links and all that kind of stuff. So basically, we try to build them. We try to build in brands as naturally as we can into the content that we're already writing, um, and then just give them a little bit more focus than we otherwise would. Okay, that's great because oftentimes I talk to brands, and a lot of times their sponsored posts are for things that have nothing to do. With the brand. And I see this a lot on YouTube, right? Like, I'll see a video, and at the end, it'll be like, by the way, you could also get this really cool mattress that yeah. sponsored this this scientific thing that you just watched. And it was like, had, has nothing to do with it. So I love that it's kind of on brand. Yeah, Emma. it's the nice... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no, go oh, ahead. no, I was just saying, it's the, it's the nice thing about um, the blog in general and kind of all of the categories that they cover. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a lot of brands that may not be as, like, cool as something like Apple or whatever, um, I think all our brands are, <laughs> are really cool. For the but the point is, is like because of all the spaces we cover, it gives a lot of different brands that opportunity to fit into the content really naturally. Well, I think of it that it has to be, and I talk about this with everyone on our team a lot, but it has to be a win-win-win. So it has to be a win for the sponsor. They're getting in front of an audience that's truly going to be interested in what they're selling. Because I wouldn't want to sponsor someone or advertise if people aren't wanting what I'm offering. That makes no sense, right? It has to be a win for our team. We like to create content around certain categories and it needs to be real for us. So it has to be a win there. And then it has to be a win for our readers. They don't want to see random stuff. They want to see what we're really doing and the type of content that they're used to seeing, which is crafts and cooking and home decor mostly for us. So if we can find the intersection of everyone's winning those three wins, then we have a winner. Okay. Well, I need another word here, but (laughs) BCR, go with it. I, I like that. And that's the same approach I take with things like affiliate marketing. If it doesn't make sense for one of the parties, then it doesn't really make sense at all. And I would imagine that as your business continues to grow, you have more and more opportunities that are coming your way. Emma, how do you stay true to your brand despite, um, A, the opportunity to promote kind of whatever products you want and the opportunities and the potential revenue gain that can come from likely companies that are reaching out to you to want to get in front of your audience? How do you, how do you stay true? Well, I do think that's part of why diversifying our revenue has been so important to me over the years and always something that's on my mind every single year. Because um, when you're working with sponsors, for example, I mean, this could apply to a number of different revenue streams, but it can be kind of hard as a business owner who has bills. You know, we have a small team and they count on me for their income. And so you think, well, what if we don't have any sponsors two months from now or four months from now? I better do this one that doesn't quite fit, you know, because you can have a little bit of that fear. And I think that makes sense. And I would never fault another business owner for that. But I think if you kind of diversify, so you're creating a little bit of a safety net for yourself with your revenue, then that gives you that freedom to say, you know what, this isn't quite the right fit. This isn't a win, win, win. So we're going to pass on this one. And I don't feel scared that I'm not going to be able to make payroll or, you know, whatever other bills your business may have, because I can rely on these other revenue streams that I've built up. Well, it also gives gives you that opportunity to kind of uh, lean into what your interests are. So like, as you evolve as a person, as you change over time, like you kind of get that chance to try these other things and more or less stay true to yourself because you've, you know, spread it out. So you've been able to kind of change as it goes. And that way you don't have to just always stick with this one thing that may have worked really, really well in 2013, but in 2018, maybe there's not as much space for it anymore. And if, had you not diversified, then like, 
you end up kind of stuck beating that same drum and you aren't able to change with the times. Sure. Thank you for that. And I definitely want to go into that diversification, which you've obviously mastered. You have this giant empire now, it seems. But I do want to talk a little bit more about sponsored posts because this is a topic that I feel like a lot of people may be interested in and there's a lot of opportunity out there. So, Trey, you said you came on when you discovered these opportunities for sponsored posts. Where might Mm -hmm. a a person who has a brand who has yet to do this, where where might they start? How do they even begin that conversation with a company? It's very intimidating to just go, hey, and and, and a lot of people don't want to like, you know, boast about themselves either, which I know is an important part of it to show all the things and assets that you have to offer. How would you recommend a person start down the line of of, uh, sponsored posts? The very first thing to think about is what is it that you have to offer, right? You have to kind of define your product that you're selling. Like what is the sponsorship? What kind of, and that's, that's putting together a media kit of some kind. And even if you're just doing it from a rough draft standpoint for your own, like even if you're not sending out a full media kit every time, but just so you have those numbers baked in and you can very quickly say like, this is what we have to offer because you know, at the end of the day, sponsors are, they're trying to like, they're trying to move a needle. They're trying to be able to present to their overall marketing team, like all, uh, you know, these great metrics that they've come back and uh, been able to generate through, through their marketing efforts. And so they want to know, they want to know how does, how does sponsoring you fit into those metrics? And so, like I said, just knowing your numbers, knowing your audience, knowing what it is you actually can offer at a very core level. And then, and then specifically, what does that sponsorship product look like? You know, is it going to be something where you want to bake this, you want to bake the sponsorship in naturally into what you're saying, or do you want to have a hard cut and say, this is an advertisement and then hard cut again, back to the content or whatever. Like a commercial. Exactly. And how, do you, how do you kind of approach it? Do you approach it one way or the other or both? Well, like I said, we always try to back, um, we always try to back into our value a little bit. So we take a look, like I said, we look at what our numbers are and then we back into it. And as far as to answer that question a little bit more directly, um, we like to weave it in a little bit more naturally. I find that to be a better, uh, just, we find it to be a better sponsorship product and it also is a better experience for our readers. Cause at the end of the day, if our readers, go away, then the sponsors go away. So we always put them as like the highest priority. And so we find just continuing to make content that we really like to make, um, and then finding, and then finding sponsors that fit that. And so I think it depends on your platform too. Like I think for bloggers and influencers on Instagram, things of that nature, I think it makes more sense to kind of bake it in. That's Mm -hmm. what saying. I like that term. Uh, (laughs) And then I think for podcasts, though, and also YouTube channels, which I we do have a YouTube channel, but it's not an emphasis for us as much. And But I listen to a ton of podcasts and watch lots of YouTube. And I'm very used to, as a consumer of that content, there being kind of a hard cut. And, oh, now I'm seeing an ad. Now yeah. I'm listening to an ad. And it I think that works well for those particular platforms. So I think it depends where you're at, which, what kind of platform you're on and what that audience is used to and what they'll respond to well. Yep. I think that's really smart. So for example, and Emma, I, I'm just curious because I know traffic is important, right? Like sponsors want to know how many people are going to see whatever it is that you're going to be mentioning. But what in addition to the traffic would be a part of that that package that we're talking about here? What, because um, I, you know, there's a lot of, beginner bloggers who mm-hmm. don't have much traffic and they automatically assume this is not possible for them. How, how might you combat that? I actually think uh, um, sometimes more important than traffic is engagement. And what I mean by that is how much someone's audience will interact with them and want to participate, whether that's buying something or commenting or whatever it is. So a great place to start is actually affiliates and finding those affiliate programs that fit what you're doing. Because if you can be successful with affiliate, that means you can move product. Mm. Now it has to be product that you like and that your audience likes. So, but you've already done the work of figuring out how that works for you and your audience. So once you have some successful affiliate programs under your belt, I would share some of those numbers with potential sponsors and maybe even include in your media kit so that you can showcase, hey, look, I can move product. My audience is interested in these types of things. So if we align in that way, we could potentially work together and find some value together. I love that. How do you know how much you're worth? I'm curious to know how you might answer that question. Um, I think, so one, I think getting a sense of 
generally the market. So, you know, we are friends with lots of different bloggers and different influencers. I think it's really smart to be friends with lots of people in your network, in whatever you're doing. If you're a YouTuber, be friends with other YouTubers. I think it's important for cross promotion. I think it's important to kind of build each other up and to help each other. I'm a big, big fan of sharing sometimes fairly private information. Uh, Like if someone emails me and they're a fellow blogger and I know them and, you know, I know they're a legit person who's Mm -hmm. just asking me a question, I will totally share lots of information like that because I think it's going to help them grow. And in the same way, I've been given a lot of information and advice over the years from people in my industry. So I think that's important. And I think that's a good way to kind of start thinking about that because it's not really what you are worth because we're all worth an infinite amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're important people and individuals. We have loved ones. And like it's, it's the number that I charge for sponsorships for a beautiful mess has nothing to do with me and the Chapman's worth. It has everything to do with the value that I can bring to the table for a potential sponsor and the going rate within my particular industry. Thank you for that. That was a beautiful answer uh, for a beautiful mess. And <laughs> sorry, I had together. Uh, and Trey, I'd love to ask you the same question since you're likely you're coming in with a lot of like the the numbers experience before even a beautiful mess got into that. What what is your thought on valuation? Well, we always try to start with. I mean, the the thing about sponsorship is it is a little bit of a moving price. You know, uh, it might be a little bit more expensive to work with one sponsor versus another based on mm. kind of uh, based on how difficult it will be to you know. To, to make it work. With so does that, does that mean that like you don't share what the price is right away? You want to have a conversation first? We basically, we have a, we have a backup. We have like a core number that we have in the back of our mind. That's like this, it at least has to be this. And okay. then we kind of work up and yes, it does. Basically we don't come out of the gate with a, with a clean number. We, cool. we kind of want to have a conversation. A lot of times we ask them what their budget is and then we try to build something that fits that budget. And then, however, like I said, I always like to lean back on that on those metrics and have a good sense of like, all right, you know, generally speaking, we know this will provide the CPM for you of a very engaged user. So if we know that we're providing that, we know that it can be a much higher CPM than it would be say a banner ad, which, um, you know, you might get a few dollars for every thousand impressions, but for something that's in content, you can charge, you know, up to upwards to 50 and a hundred dollars CPMs. Thank you for that. And, and final question on that is, is there a trick to reaching out to a company to getting a hold of them for having that discussion? I would say shamelessness, <laughs> but <laughs> but in all, I mean, I think a lot of times, and especially uh, maybe in our generation, we're really polite. We don't want to be too forceful or anything like that. But it's just there's there's no such thing as like a bad route to finding uh, to finding that contact. LinkedIn is a fantastic resource. You can start you can look up companies and just start looking for title like titles that would be relevant to what you're trying to do. You know, like things like uh, you know whatever whoever's marketing, whether it's a brand manager, assistant brand manager, social media managers. Um, and so like start to just try to piece together as many connections as you can. Um, I would say too, like I, I'm a pretty shy person, but I am definitely quote unquote shameless when it comes <laughs> to promoting. Cause here's the thing. This is the advice I try to give my friends. It's like, be as proud of your work and talk about it as much as you think your mom would. Exactly. Like my mm. mom is so proud of me and like, <laughs> it's an embarrassing amount. My mom is awesome. She's a main mother. And she would talk about my stuff like endlessly to someone, not because she's like being sleazy and trying to sell them. She's legitimately proud. And so in the same way, think of your company that way. Are you proud of what you've built? You probably are because you've worked really hard on it. So don't be afraid to get out there and say, Hey, I have this great thing. I have this great platform. I have this engaged audience and I want you to get involved with that because I think your company is awesome. And if someone says no or doesn't respond, that's the worst that can happen. And that's not that bad. (laughs) You just keep going and find other places where you can add that value. Amazing. Thank you for that. Emma, can you continue speaking a little bit about, okay, what were the next steps after a beautiful mess became the main thing and on the lines of diversification, kind of what was the next step for you or the next sort of phase of diversification? Our next big project was um, we got a two book deal. And for us, books was a natural next step because we were content creators and books is just basically a collection of content. Mm -hmm. So uh, we got a two book deal and we took the money, the advance from that, and we made our first app. 
So for us, we were thinking like, we don't just want to like take the money that we make and spend it on fun stuff. We want to grow our business. We're in this to win it. So Mm -hmm. let's continue to diversify. And we had a great idea for an app. So that's the next thing we did. So we were the same year we were writing our first book. We were beginning to work on our first app. Wow. Okay. So let's go back to the books really quick. Um, How did that start? I'm curious. I I know a lot of people have a book in them and they know that, but they don't even know where to begin. And it sounds like that you just naturally went into it, but the traditional book, you know, requires a lot of planning and an agent and, and all those things. What were the pieces that had to come together in order for this to be executed? So I'll tell you a real story, and I don't know how helpful it will be to your listeners. But for t- us, t- tell us. <laughs> we were blogging. We were putting out content that we were proud of. And a book, not an agent, a publisher contacted us and was like, I have an idea for a book that I think you guys would be great to write. Would you be interested? And we loved the book idea. So we were like, we love it. And we were also like, oh, we should get an agent because we have no idea like what kind of advance you should get from a book. Like mm-hmm. we don't. No, you could, we, I mean, we have no idea. So we looked up a few agents and reached out and we found an amazing one. And we've worked with her now for like 10 years. She's amazing. We love her. Um, and so she turned that into a two book deal and we were really happy with the advance and, uh, you know, definitely allowed us to create the content we wanted to make for the books and they were really fun to write. So that's really our story. But uh, a lot of times people will approach me and say, oh, I have a book idea. How does it work? And uh, if you're wanting to write a book that's like nonfiction, so it might be a teaching style book or something of that nature, that's what my books are. Um, Those you typically kind of have a book proposal, so you don't have to have the entire book written. Mm -hmm. And the thing I say for people in the type of industry that I'm in, so it could be crafts or cooking or decor or fashion or something of that nature. I think if you have a channel that could be a blog, that could be a YouTube channel, it could be anything where you're putting out great content. It's going to be so much easier for you to sell a book because you already have an audience that's interested in the type of thing you do and you already know how to write great content. And that's exactly what publishers want to see. They want to see your audience and they want to see that you can write great content. So you, you have all the hard work done if you're already doing that. And I also think uh, currently in 2018, 2019, (laughs) um, it's a great time to be self-publishing, even better than it's ever been. So sometimes I think people have an idea that if they don't get a book deal with a major publisher, that it's not legit. I completely disagree. I love reading self-published books. Some of my favorite ones have been self-published. I've had lots of friends self-publish. And I think it's just as legit, if not more, money-wise sometimes. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to explore both avenues and see what's the right fit for your project. Thank you for that. And I can vouch for self-published books as an author of self-published books as well. So I I appreciate that. Um, How long did the book writing process take for that first book, Emma? And how hard or easy was it? Our first book, I think we wrote it in about nine months. I want to say maybe 10 months. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really fun to write. It was difficult to write a blog and a book at the same time. And I also think we just had never written a book before. We didn't understand. Like, I think they had to send me a document how to turn track changes on in Word. I just didn't even know how to do that. (laughs) So, you know, there were a few hurdles that we had to get it through. But, um, but I loved the process of it. It was, it's just like writing a blog. So, but it's a much more, um, kind of pointed thing because instead of a bunch of random content, you're kind of creating this one long narrative, not like a novel, but you know, just one thesis, I guess, or whatever. And so I, I love writing books. Um, I think we still have a few more books than us. I hope we'll see if anyone publishes them, but whatever. That's awesome. Uh, a couple more questions about the book, and then Trey, I want to pivot to you in the in the app thing, uh, and and the software, which is really exciting to me as well. Um, on the book, how did you get your audience involved so that you had a really good launch? Um, what are some tactics mm-hmm. and and things that you've done to to move that audience? We definitely talked a lot about writing the book as we were doing it. Nice. We weren't necessarily showing the content because I think that kind of 
you can show a little bit, but I think if you show too much, then why should they purchase it? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you want to keep a little bit back. So it's more exciting to see the finished product when you get to the end there. But bringing in your audience to what you're doing is just so natural for bloggers and other influencers. And I think it's so fun. And it can also, in a weird way, kind of be a little bit of an accountability thing because you can't be slacking on your book deadline if you've told your whole audience about it, right? So I think that that kind of works well too. But yes, we, we bring them in on the project. We let them see that we're doing it. We tell them what it means to us. If we're truly excited about the project, our audience knows and they tend to be more excited with us. So that helps a lot for launches. And looking back at that launch, what was one really smart thing that you realized that you did that worked really well for you? Um, hmm. There are a lot of things I wish we'd done on that first launch. Well, that was, was going to be my follow-up <laughs> question. <laughs> I mean, I think sharing the process as we went was really smart. Cool. Uh, I don't think we knew it at the time. Like, you know, we didn't realize that that's that we were marketing. We just kind of thought like, oh, yeah, we just talk about what we do. Mm-hmm. But um, I do wish we had started a newsletter. We didn't even have an email list when we launched the first book. And that would have been very valuable. So, you know, definitely have that newsletter. But I feel like that's kind of online business 101 right there. So <laughs> definitely have a newsletter. Definitely have a wait list so that you can let people know when it's you know, when the pre-order's out and then when it's finally out and they can buy it. And then if you have any sales, depending where it's being sold, so you can inform them on that. Um, and hopefully even get people to give you reviews. Um, if they're interested, you don't want to be too pushy about it, but you do want to be upfront about it because it can help you sell your book. And hopefully you're really proud of your book when you're done. So it's, it's amazing to see like a good review from someone you don't know. It feels like, it feels like a million dollars. And where can we go grab the book? Where, where can we see it? Um, all our books are sold really wherever books are sold, but you can find them at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and lots of small um, indie publishers too, which uh, I think is for indie bookstores. And share with us the name of the book so we can uh, know what to look up. Our first one was A Beautiful Mess Photo Idea Book. Our second one was Happy Handmade Home. And our third one is a cookbook called Weekday Weekend, which kind of has a healthy slant to it. So it might be a good one for the new year. And we could, we could find them through abeautifulmess.com as well, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, we have a books tab you can click on. Nice. Yeah, and I'm looking at the covers right now. They look gorgeous. Uh, Thank well, you. Well done. Um, Trey, I want to pivot to the app and software sort of realm of uh, what you guys have built. Tell us sure. about even like why why apps, why, why software. I remember uh, Emma was saying, well, it just kind of made sense to do that. But I want to know like really where this came from. So, yeah, this would have been, I think, 2013. We started it in 2000, I think, 12, I believe. And um, basically, Elsie has a, a pretty um, a pretty iconic like drawing style and handwriting style. And she was just uploading photos to Instagram that she would draw on her tablet with, um, like just something in Photoshop. And she would just do a cute little doodle or some sort of cursive phrase or whatever. And over and over again in her comments, she was getting asked, what app did you use to do this? What app did you use to do this? And she's just like, well, I just use Photoshop, but now that I think about it. <laughs> and so that's kind of where the idea of the Beautiful Mess app came. And so it's that our first app was a photo app where you could kind of bring in doodles and you could recolor them and move them and add them to your photo or whatever. Um, and so just it kind of came out of that just as natural as it could be. Honestly, a lot of times we'll get ideas that come from uh, readers and followers just kind of asking, hey, how did we do that? And we realized we took a lot of steps to do it and maybe we could shorten the amount of steps to get them to that same result. <laughs> It makes me think that you need a, some information on how to build an app now because now everybody's <laughs> going to be asking, well, how did you do this? And that's what I want to ask you. Like, were you a developer? Yeah. Did you know how to create that? How, how did you oh, get it done? Oh, no. Um, I think we'd had a uh, – it was just like a friend of a friend who connected us to this app agency based out of Austin. And they were like a startup. And it kind of – it worked pretty well because they were really young and kind of figuring out what they were doing. We were a relatively young business and don't totally know what we're doing. So we just kind of worked together (laughs) and made all sorts of mistakes along the way. Um, but yeah, it's funny. It's one of those things that like Elsie and Emma kind of kickstarted that, um, 
And I was, you know, trying to soften their expectations a little bit because, again, coming from the advertising world, it was just like every client that we had wanted to do an app because it was like the trendy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, uh, and they always would fall flat on their face when they would try it. And so they always failed. So I'm just like, let's just like, let's be happy if, you know, we get, you know, 10,000, 20,000 installs. Let's be thrilled with you that. You said that we were awesome. throwing our money away. <laughs> I don't know if I said Ask throwing it away. <laughs> <laughs> I was skeptical to say the least, but yeah, by the end of it, I'm like testing and all in and we're kind of overseeing the process. And then, um, and yeah, I couldn't have been more wrong about my prediction. It went number one in the app store before we could even promote it. Um, like we, like we'd said that it was coming out, like we teased it a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, we were still going through the approval process with Apple. We'd gotten it, we'd gotten kicked back, uh, for like not having a certain button just right. And yeah, um, we didn't know how that worked either. So, Cause we'd never made an app before. And, and at, and at the time they didn't know, uh, or, or at the time Apple didn't really have any way to schedule a release date. So it just, as soon as it was approved, it was in the store and we didn't also just didn't know when it would be up. So then all of a sudden it just kind of popped up at like 10 PM one night. And by the time, you know, we're online in the morning to kind of promote it and start talking about it, it's already number one in the app store. So that was quite the, quite the fun story for us. And how many installs uh, do you uh, have? A beautiful mess uh, topped out at about 1.2 million installs. Um, And so that one or that app has kind of, it's had a nice life, but we've, uh, we're more, we've kind of moved on to a free model through a couple of other apps. So basically a beautiful mess had a big, big spike at the beginning and it did really, really well. Um, but then whenever we try it, whenever we try to continue investing in it, we weren't able to see that same kind of return that we would, that we saw in the initial investment and all that. So we were struggling with it to make it work exactly right. So then we started to move on to new apps. So we started doing this app called Party Party, which was kind of like a photo booth app that also turned, this was before Boomerang, and it would kind of turn your photos into a GIF. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could just do like back-to-back photos and it would stack them on top of each other and create a little animated GIF. It was right around the time Instagram introduced video, so it all kind of worked together. Um, and then Party Party was like we were, we were exploring another business model. So with A Beautiful Mess, we did a paid app with in-app purchases. and then But we got so much pushback for having in-app purchases and a paid app. So it's like, okay, let's try doing a paid app with no in-app purchases. And uh, people really liked it. <laughs> we didn't get much pushback, but it ultimately uh, hurt. It ultimately hurt from a business standpoint. It ended up being a profitable app, but uh, Party Party ended up capping out at about seventy-five thousand installs, and so which is you know drastically different than how Beautiful Mess was doing. So then um, we wanted to find something that was a little bit cleaner because a Beautiful Mess has a very very specific style, and it and it kind of fit in its time. Um, but it, it, you know, trends change, trends change. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to find something that was like a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more subtle and something that could have a long shelf life. And that's where a color story came into play. Um, and so Elsie, again, is kind of Elsie and Emma both had this very, um, uh, bright popping editing style that wasn't really happening, like bright popping, colorful editing style that wasn't really happening in any of the photo editing apps out there. They were all very moody and very um, dramatic yeah, shadows, very dramatic. Which yeah, is a look, just not <laughs> yeah, which is like a look, but it's just like there was a lot of filter apps out there for very serious photos, but for the more fun, colorful photos that we that we like to post and take and do, um, we didn't didn't see a lot of apps out there. So we like what's well, like let's try to throw our, throw our hat into the filter app game. And so that's where color story came to be. And we worked this out we kind of built together a pretty substantial filter library and effects library. Um, you should tell we just hit a milestone oh, literally yeah. today. <laughs> literally. Oh, what's the milestone? We just hit 10 million installs. Are you serious? 10 story. million? Yeah. yeah, today. 10 million installs. <laughs> today yeah. so we're gonna go get lunch after this oh my gosh congratulations <laughs> yeah. i yeah, have so many questions about this um first of all that's that's wonderful and i'm looking at the app in the app store right now and obviously we'll link to all the things that we're talking about in the show notes for all of you listening right now but on this app in particular like i, I i've had my hand in the app store for a while since 2008 or 2009 when it was really just beginning and you know, yeah. that business that i had in the app space no longer exists and i know exactly how hard it can be to create an app but more so to continually update it. So I have questions about, 
you're not a developer. <laughs> How are you supporting these apps and continually updating them for all the updates that iTunes and Apple has and all all the, all the things? So we uh, so we parted ways with kind of agencies in general after a beautiful mess. We ran we just kind of ran into the hurdles and it was like we've kind of felt like our business model and their business model were at odds a little bit. Not to say that like we had any ill will or anything. It just mm-hmm. ultimately they needed in order for them to make a profit, they needed to be able to get the work out as quickly as possible. And in order for us to make a profit, we needed a really stable, um, a really stable application. And so for a color story, we transitioned away from agencies. Once I started to understand the process a whole lot more and I just started trying to find, um, developers from the space and uh, contracting them freelance um and so we so we just i just kind of pooled all the resource like just would uh, find the individuals that i needed and specifically somebody who had had experience creating these apps before like and the the first developer for a color story for example um i found him through the app store like i was just going through the photos and videos app and or photos and video app category and I found an app that was like really well built, but wasn't getting a whole lot of attention. And so I kind of looked up, you know, who were the developers behind it. And it was just a guy, um, wonderful guy named Matt out of Manchester. And um, Matt from Manchester. <laughs> Matt from Manchester. <laughs> and um, we just kind of put together a plan and got the whole thing built. So that's how we got a color story built initially. And then once it became clear, like I, we kind of set some goals in place. like, And so once it became clear that a color story was going to be, you know, its own thing, um, I moved full time over to a color story. And then I was the sole employee working with freelancers for the first year. Um, and then we hired, and now we are actually just about to hire our third full time mobile developer. So we now have a staff of developers um, and uh and managers and designers and things like that to keep the whole business going. That's that's amazing. Congrats. So the, yeah. the, this is uh, structurally a separate company. Is it owned by like an umbrella company that you have or how is that sort of all figured out? Because when you it's, diversify, uh, this is a big thing. It's like, how do I even manage all this stuff separately? Yeah, it's it's structurally, uh, it, it's structurally its own LLC and then um, LC and Emma are 50-50 owners on both um, the LLC over a beautiful mess and then, and then a color story LLC, which is its own, like I said, its own entity entirely. So they're not, there's no umbrella company okay. that connects the two. The umbrella company is LC and Emma as individuals. So that's how it's structured. Nice. I and, just downloaded it and already. It's like super gorgeous. Um, okay. I'm going to play around with this <laughs> after the call. So I'm going to not distract myself and put my phone away. Um, how, final question on the app stuff. Cause you have, we have more to talk about yeah. and, how were you able to get people to find and and I, I know that a beautiful mess was a big part of this, but I mean ten million uh, on this one and even the first one, beautiful mess, uh, you know, over one million and then even seventy five thousand. I mean, that's not something to to breeze over. These are significant numbers. What has been the marketing strategy behind these apps? How are you able to get them in front of people? So it's a couple things. So Beautiful Mess obviously is a fantastic launch pad. So it will always get us started and it will get us the it will get us the attention of the right people. So with a beautiful mess, um with the a beautiful mess app, um, we were able to with us shooting up the charts to number one, it got Apple to pay attention to us. So it got us an Apple feature right away. Um and then and then with party party it was a similar situation we were able to get out so like us getting that big boom like that big burst of installs at the beginning which again it doesn't have to be something insane like you don't need like a million installs on the first day or anything like that if you're able to get a few thousand installs in a day like some way able to drum that up you'll get the attention of apple and uh, and then that will get you those those prime feature spots there within the app store app and you'll be able to find uh and, and you'll be able to get substantial success there in the first week then ongoing so with uh, a beautiful with or with a color story the way that we kind of were able to keep the rhythm going as opposed to just having that big spike in the beginning and then a big drop off mm-hmm. um was through one we do a lot of influencer networking and we and influencer outreach and that's kind of 100 percent of our pr strategy so we have a lot of friends in the space and so we work with them directly to kind of get feedback on the app so there's an element of social marketing there but um, beyond that it's we've we really really hit a good stride with instagram ads that's uh, that's like that is our bread and butter as far as generating installs right now. So we have and we have it set up where 
our cost per install is a is substantially less than our value per user. So and your reviews matter too. Oh yeah. So and anyone then, aspiring, I do think that's something to really keep an eye on and absolutely. work on is mm-hmm. making sure your reviews are good because if someone who doesn't know you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, clicks over and they're interested, but then they see you have a one star or two star app, you know, they're going to be more hesitant to download. So you just want to keep an eye on that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you have uh, an average of 4.8 out of five right now with over closing in on 9,000 ratings. I mean, that's, that's a very significant um, <laughs> yeah. number and that is, that is fantastic. So obviously a part of this is just making apps. If you are going to do it, that are great and worth yeah. reviewing, right? Yeah. Well, right. It, to be fa- and to be fair, there's a whole strategy to reviews too, because you don't like you, you get a whole lot more reviews if you just ask for them. And so, and that's the big thing for us is that like we kind of we we try to find our users who do like the app who would never think to review it, and we just ask them like, hey, would you mind? <laughs> and uh, right. and then they're almost and they're very willing. I think that's know? a life tip too. You yeah. get a whole lot more in life if you ask for it. Yep. And speaking of asking for help, um, and Emma, I want to go back to you now, related to influencer marketing with this and, and even other things that you have going on, how do you ask for things without feeling like you're just taking so much? Uh, I think this is a big struggle that a lot of people who do have a lot of value to offer um, struggle with. It's 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 the ask. Um, can you share with us your approach for working with colleagues and friends when you have something to launch? How do you help them help you? Yep. I completely understand the the feeling there. I feel it myself often. So I don't think that's foreign at all. If anyone's listening to this and they're like, I could never ask for help like that. Trust me. I've been there and I still am there. Sometimes I feel it. But the thing is, uh, do you ever give help? Because one, you should. But two, if someone asks you for help, it's kind of an awesome feeling to know like, oh, I can actually give you some advice or go leave your review and it's going to make a, a big difference to you mm-hmm. and your business and this thing you're working on. So in the same way, truly, you are giving your friends and colleagues an opportunity to help you. And here's the thing. When I ask for help, I know very much that and I say this too. You don't have to do it if you don't have time to do it. If you know, you're not interested in this thing I've worked on that is totally fine. And I truly mean it. And it's not going to hurt my feelings. You don't owe me anything, but I am still going to ask for what I need and what I want in life. And I'm going to give. And in that way, I'm going to like contribute to the universe's karma (laughs) and give what I believe that we should all be giving. And I will expect that back, but I will not be angry or upset if I don't get it from someone in particular. But I also will probably come back and ask them again, (laughs) unless they tell me not to, because I am a little bit shameless. But I think, you know, sometimes people forget other people are just busy. There are so many times I feel like I missed a friend's launch and it wasn't because I didn't like them and I couldn't believe they even wrote me, you know, and asked me for help. It's because I was busy that week or I was sick that week and I just missed it and I actually feel kind of bad. So I'm glad if they come back to me and they say, hey, I got something else. Could you help me with? I'm like, oh, yes, good, because I missed your last thing and I'm sorry and I really do want to help. Like that's also something that might be going on. So don't get discouraged. And unless someone directly says, Hey, don't email me, you know, then don't feel that way. That's not how most people operate. That's probably not how you operate. So don't assume that just like put it out there what you need and give. And just to build on that a little bit, uh, a really good strategy in general is just to get them involved somehow. Because to come back to Emma's point, people do love to help. And especially if it's on kind of a cool project. So with, with a color story, our big thing is that we'll bring in and we'll bring in influencers to help us test. So they'll tell us like, oh, this is good. This is bad. And and we also really take their feedback They're like, oh, it'd be really awesome if I could have this feature or that feature. And so then uh, so then they're kind of they are part of the process and all this and it keeps it more top of mind. They're less likely to forget about it. Um, and they're just a little bit more excited for you because they understand it a little more. I love that. Thank you. Um, when it comes to business, one thing that I've learned over time, and it's really it's really important to know what your strengths are and and what your weaknesses are. And I'd love to hear from each of you. And Emma, we'll start with you. Like, what is the the unfair advantage, the big strength that you bring to your team that you feel you've been able to sort of you know take advantage of and, and use for the success that you've been able to gain? Oh, um, like what is your superpower? Yeah, I. 
I think I am like um, a very optimistic person. Uh, I wouldn't say like unrealistically so, but also I don't know if that's always a bad thing. <laughs> but I definitely will just keep going. Like, you know, you've listed, you know, at the top of this, a number of, of things that we've had that have done well for us. What you didn't list, which I'm glad, but is all the things that haven't done well for us and that we had to abandon in business. But I'm still standing. I'm still here. And I still have more in me. I have more to give and more to build in my lifetime. So I think I just bring a level of optimism and I'm not afraid to put myself out there and fail or put myself out there and succeed and then talk about it. And in the same way, I'm willing to help others come alongside me or go do their own thing and give them some advice or some encouragement that you can do big things. So can I, and we all deserve that kind of success and happiness. Thank you. And I do want to ask you about perhaps an example of one of those failed projects, if you don't mind. So if you could think on that while I ask Trey the same question, um, what what is one of your uh, or what is your strength that you bring to the team? Um, so before I answer, I do want to add one to Emma that one of her bed one of her best superpowers is her decisiveness. So what makes her able to continue moving forward is that she will she'll very quickly realize oh this is a problem stop doing oh this is great keep doing that mm-hmm. like she is my she's my rock when it comes whenever whenever I get kind of stuck in in something or another I'll call her. And just be like, and I'll just explain it to her. And then she always has the plainest, simplest, most obvious answer for me because she can just be so, so decisive. So that's another thing. That, <laughs> it kind of builds Aww. on what she does, but that's like, she's so good at that. Um, I'd say probably my big thing is a, a level of healthy obsessiveness um, when it <laughs> comes to getting things done. Um, like I, I get really, really thorough and I make sure everything works. We've built some really robust testing processes. And like I said, since managing reviews in the app store is such a big thing, if you ship something with a bug, um, that especially a bug that's particularly detrimental to the overall experience of the app, your reviews just start to tank. And so, uh, through a lot of process, uh, through a lot of process design and just, <laughs> a little bit of obsessiveness. I think I've been able to create some really, really clean products on the other side of it. That's, that's great. Thank you. And Emma, can you speak to a superpower that Elsie brings to the table? Yeah. Elsie is a dreamer. So I, she has that thing where, you know, you could start a meeting and everyone's feeling kind of down. And by the end of it, they all are thinking about these like five ideas that Elsie has. And they're really excited about it with her. She's just like a very enthusiastic has way too many ideas, has, you know, and thinks they're all going to be amazing. And she can bring you on board where you're like, oh, I want to help you build that because you get really excited with her. So Mm -hmm. I love having her in meetings. I love having her, you know, I mean, just in everything. She makes me excited to reach farther than I think I ever would without her. And I think she inspires other people to do that too. So it's my favorite thing about her. I want to be more like that. In fact, (laughs) that's awesome. Thank you. And, and, the final question is, you know, uh, Trey and Emma, husband and wife, you guys have been working together. And then Emma, you and Elsie have been, you know, partners for a long time now as well. Um, I would love to hear from each of you. What is your best tip for building a business with others? I think that working with other people is really important, especially as you begin to grow out of solopreneurship and get into really becoming the CEO of your company and developing partnerships and, and all those kinds of things. But I also know that that's not always easy. And oftentimes people can either butt heads or they have different ideas. What would be your best tip for making sure that the relationships support the business and the business supports the relationship? Yeah, um, I would say recognizing what your strength is and also recognizing what other strengths are is really, really important. So one don't necessarily partner with someone who has the exact same strength and weakness that you have. That's probably not going to be ideal. Um, Elsie and I have opposite strengths and weaknesses in many ways, and that makes us great. So I also think if you are starting to grow your team and manage people, if you have someone talented on your team, part of your job is to just get out of their way, let them do what they're really good at. That's why they're there. And you go do the thing that you're really good at. Yeah. For me, I would say my number one is communication. We we meet frequently and we really and we always spell it out. And that way there's never it kind of eliminates all those questions of like, well, what do you do all day? <laughs> you know, uh, you never you never have that if you are if you're kind of always on the same page and you're always able to talk. So as much as you're able to kind of keep everybody 
up to speed and, and continue those conversations. I think that's huge. I also would say believing in the good in others. And it's a little bit of kind of like what you're saying. It's like, don't come from the perspective. Like if you come at somebody assuming that they're being lazy or that they don't want, like assume that they're doing their best and start from there. And you're able to get a lot, you're, you're able to get a lot more, right? I guess a lot more value out of each other in that, in that way. Well, thank you. And, and when you say we meet frequently, uh, how often are you meeting and, and uh, for how long? Um, so we do a weekly meeting with the whole team um, for about 30 minutes to an hour. And then I do daily stand-ups with our developers and then our business team. So we'll just kind of do a quick, you know, recap, like, I mean, five, five, 10 minutes of like, hey, what do you have going on today? And then that way it that way we can see like if they're working in the wrong direction on something, we can catch it right then and there. Um, or if somebody needs help, we can catch that right then and there as well. And we definitely use Skype and uh, Slack a lot. Yeah. Although there's lots of great tools, but I always like to throw out tools because I feel like sometimes people get overwhelmed by yep. just making that decision. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- thank you. And we, ha- we hadn't even really touched on the physical products, the, the bar that you guys own, the Airbnbs and, and all those kinds of things. Um, but I would love to hear from each of you because I just want to continue talking because you guys are amazing. Um, what, what would be your best tip for diversification and managing all of this? Because, you know, I, I have a lot of things going on as well. And sometimes I feel like it could potentially spiral out of control and I could lose control of a lot of the stuff. You, you have even more than I do going on. What, how are you managing all of this and, and able to stay sane and still find time to do you know, uh, personal development and, and, and spend time with loved ones and, and all those sorts of things. When something's winning, you should staff it. You know, like if something is starting, if something is starting to become like a clear winner, it's like as much as you can bring, <laughs> ask for help, bring people in mm-hmm. and whether it's a full-time person or it's somebody contract or whatever, like when you're first starting out, you know, it makes sense. You want to do as much yourself as you can, cause that's the most efficient way to go. But once something starts working, bring in people to help you. And then once, and so with that help, it can kind of, it keeps things from, like, it, it can keep things from completely overwhelming you. Yeah. And I think too, like, one, think about diversifying among different categories. And additionally, think about diversifying as far as things that will take your attention. So some things will take a lot of your attention and need a lot of handholding and some things won't. So, you know, I, when I'm thinking about diversifying my business, it's very similar to diversifying your own personal income. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to have a savings account, a retirement account. If you have additional money beyond that, then maybe you're thinking about stocks or mutual funds, or maybe you're also going to think about investing in real estate. All of those kind of have different levels of potential involvement and like time associated and also cost. So in a, in a similar way, think about that with your business. You don't want to start three businesses one year that all require $100,000 in all of your time. Yeah. That's not going to work. Um, that's definitely going to be difficult and you'll never see your family that year. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's not good. Yeah. So you want to think like, well, I have the space to do something that could take up 10 hours of my week. And that, that I think is a lot. So it's like, okay, well, dream up an idea and try something and try to pick something that's not exactly the same category of what you already have going on. That way, if it does well, you could potentially staff it, you could grow it, and it's its own thing now, and it creates this financial safety net for you. But you don't want to create products or services that are just going to compete with what you already have in your portfolio. That's not necessarily going to help you build that wealth, whether within your business or in your personal life. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Trey. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for the inspiration and all the advice and uh, the ability to now better organize the life that we have. So I, I appreciate that. Um, Emma, where should we go to find out more information? Where, where can we get more from you? Well, my blog is beautifulmess.com, And if you're interested in photo editing at all on your mobile device, you should definitely download a color story. It's free. It's free. But we have lots of stuff in there, too, for you to enjoy. Awesome. Thank you both. Appreciate you so much. And have an amazing 2019. Can't, to see, uh, can't wait to see what else you guys come up with. Awesome. Thanks, Pat. We appreciate you. Thanks so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Emma and Trey. And again, a beautifulmess.com is where you can go. A Color Story is the app that we talked about that just crossed 10 million installs. Uh, they have all these other amazing things and the bar and the product line and all those things, which we didn't mention. We'll have links to those in the show notes as well. So all the things that they're doing, you can find 
at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 357. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 357. And the final thing, just to kind of wrap this up, you know, it all started with the blog, A Beautiful Mess, and the audience that they built there, the engagement that they had there, and the opportunities that then came their way as a result of building that brand. And, and just to remind you, this all didn't happen overnight. This is 11 years in the making, and it wasn't until 2012 and 13 that they really started to devote full-time energy into this and see those opportunities. So for those of you who are just starting out who may not even have that one thing under your belt yet, I hope this encourages you to know that you got to keep working at it. you got to keep persisting. And really, it's about that audience engagement and that targeted niche audience that you're building that will open up those opportunities for you. And if you've already gotten started, well, you're already headed in the right direction because how many people you know who have always said they wanted to do things but yet haven't even taken those first steps? Sometimes those first steps may not be the best first steps, but at least you're taking steps and that's exactly where it all starts. So as we begin our 2019 together, I just want to say I appreciate you for being here. Thank you so much. All the reviews that have been coming in this year on iTunes and Apple, just I appreciate you so much. It really motivates me to continue moving forward. And speaking of moving forward, we have a lot of great episodes coming your way. So if you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please do that. And that way you can automatically get the new episodes that come your way too. And I just want to say one more time, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Team Flynn for the win. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. 